right. Oh, that was a really sweet time. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to The Exchange. Uh, if you're new, my name is Josiah. Even if you're not new, my name is still Josiah. Uh, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, do me a favor. Turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one so you can follow along with us. But John chapter 13 is where we're at. John 13. You can turn there. Let me just say this. Um, I really missed you guys last week. Um, uh, many of you might know, many of you might not know. Last week, uh, I had the privilege, I was blessed with a trip to Israel. Um, just for the last year, I've been a part of this uh, discipleship group with a pastor. His name is Larry Thompson. He served um, in South Florida for many, many years. He retired, and he pulled aside a few pastors, and he just kind of invested in us this last year. Uh, they ended the trip by taking us to, to Israel, which is incredible, and they had all of us teach at least five times, and um, it was honestly, it was just incredible. I mean, there's so many things I could share, and I don't want to, like, overwhelm. Part of me is like, I just want to like, review what happened. Um, but when we were there, just gathering, seeing like, Christians, followers of Jesus from Korea, seeing followers of Jesus from Russia, from, like, Romania, many different people just from different parts of Africa coming to just see where Jesus walked and what he taught and where he was. I mean, just seeing the church globally, kind of like the world gathering there was incredible. Um, I feel I went there 10 years ago when I was 21 and coming now at 31 and just I feel like I was able to piece a lot of the scriptures together better. Um, some of the passages you read in the Bible, you're like, why does it say this is where they went and for how long and what was that about? And it begins to make sense. Like this book is a historical book. The days they give, what happened, the events happened. And I love they're still finding new cities. They found the city of Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from 10 years ago. And they're still finding new things that are just to support the scripture. One pastor said this, he's like, whenever uh, archaeology discovers something about the Bible, it doesn't, doesn't give me more trust in the Bible, it gives me more trust in archaeology. And I think that's so true. I love that. I just love how there's different things to support what's happening. Um, I do want to share this. It reminded me of this. I'm so thankful for the Jewish people, the way they preserve scripture, the way they wrote scripture. I mean, my Savior's Jewish. I mean, I'm just so thankful for that group of people and what they've done so we could hold what we have in our hands every single week. And um, just pray, I, you know, being, it's weird, being in Jerusalem, one of the most, I mean, probably the most religious city on the planet, and yet it's such a godless city is what it feels like. And uh, just think of how the gospel went out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. Here we are in South Florida worshiping Jesus. And when I'm there, you just remind, like, God, bring the gospel here. Bring it back there. Keep sending. Keep renewing. Keep um, just letting your spirit lead people to your son, Jesus. And just want to pray for that and want to be a part of that. So, it was beautiful. I mean, this is not some sort of pledge for you. I, I hope you guys can go. I think the Bible does go from black and white to color. So I would encourage you at one point in your life, if you can go or save up to go, go. It's just an incredible experience. Uh, but last week, I know Mike was here and did a great job um, with the message. A couple Kanye quotes, which was great, Mike. Um, <laughs> actually, listening to the audio recording, I, I feel like I just heard my wife laughing the whole time. And I'm like, I never hear that on my audio recording. Like, what's that about? It's very frustrating when you just hear it anyways. Um, but it's very good. <laughs> Hey, we're in John 13. Um, let me just kind of catch you up. We're, we're doing this series, series on spiritual formation, and we're just trying to answer this idea of how do we change? Everyone talks about change. We all want to change. Really, the question is, how do we become more like Jesus? How do we become more like Jesus? I mean, we can, we can talk about that, but what are those practical ways or the practical things we can do to become more like Jesus? And that's where spiritual formation comes in. Spiritual formation, as we've been defining it, is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. How many of you have that memorized yet? 
being formed by the Spirit inwardly, just through timeless practices and disciplines. We just want to be more like Jesus. We want to take on the practices and the way of Jesus. And so we've been looking at like different elements of here are some things and some rhythms we can implement into our lives to become more like Jesus. So we've talked about this, but I still just want to catch you up. Um, everyone's being formed by something or someone. We're all becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus. Everyone is being formed all the time by the movies we watch, the shows we see, the teachings we hear, what we might read or take in. All of us are being formed by something. There's unintentional spiritual formation, and then there's intentional spiritual formation, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to offer and say, hey, let's look at intentional spiritual formation. And two elements of this, we've talked about the disciplines, spiritual disciplines, or spiritual practices, or spiritual formation. We talked about these as two different categories. There's disciplines of engagement and disciplines of disengagement. And so we'll put that list up here. Last week, you guys got to hear a message and look at, really, a disengagement practice, the practice of Sabbath, of just getting away of breaking off, of having time to reflect, to worship, to enjoy Jesus. This week is going to be a little different. We're going to look at a practice of engagement. We're going to talk about today specifically serving or service or servanthood. All right, so last week was, was kind of like the day off in a sense where you're like, all right, I get to take in the Sabbath. This is going to be like, all right, let's get to work. There's something now about saying we want to become more like Jesus. What does that mean? We need to practice serving servanthood really it's kind of weird to talk about it in this way only because serving is not just a practice but it's a lifestyle in some ways it needs to be a practice in case you're like just the person who never wants to serve or get involved or help or step in um, but the hope is that this would become just part of our dna that as we practice this we become more like jesus that this would become of just who we are not something that we do but we still need to practice it um, so we're going to look at John 13, I think a phenomenal text on this. And I wish I was creative enough to think of this, but I love how the Lord works this out. Speaking of serving and servanthood uh, and service, tomorrow is Veterans Day. And I love that this is our topic. I love that this is kind of the weekend. And like I said, I'm not that creative to be like, <laughs> lined up perfectly. God's so good that way. But first of all, I just want to say thank you to all of those who've served. We just want to say thank you. And you can clap, yeah. And... We just want to actually pray over those. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to read the text where we see Jesus being the greatest servant. And we're going to read that. We're going to pray. And, and when we pray, I'm just going to ask those who serve to stand up. So let's just read the text first. John 13, we're looking at the practice of just serving, service, servanthood. All right, John 13. Let's read in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, uh, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And that he poured water into a basin, or and that he, after he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing now you do not understand, 
but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. I love Peter. Jesus answered and said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Then Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head. I just love Peter. There's, there's no one like Peter. He's so great. He goes, wash all of me, Lord. Just my, my hands, my head. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do me a favor. If you've served, uh, would you just stand? I'm going to pray over the text for this weekend, but also just pray and thank, thank the Lord for you guys. So if you've served in any capacity, men and women, uh, we just love for you to stand up. Don't be shy. Stand up. I'm going to pray for you. All right, let's pray. If you're near someone, just reach your hand out, and just, we're going to just pray right now. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you came as a servant. God, we thank you that you came to serve. Lord, we do thank you just knowing that tomorrow is Veterans Day. We, we thank you for those men and women who've served our country, served us, served you, really. We know that all occupations and jobs, whatever we do, we do for your glory. But God, we thank you for those who've taken risks or just sacrificed time or things even with family, Lord. We just, we just ask God a special protection, blessing over them, their heart, their mind. God, for their families. Jesus, the things that come with serving that maybe a civilian doesn't fully understand. Lord, we just ask that you be with them. But Jesus, we ask that you would produce in all of us, not just um, we serve when we want, not just serving at one point in our life and we're done with that now. Lord, let it always, always be just a heart of serving. Let it just be who you are. Let it be ingrained into our hearts and our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, my son right now loves the Jesus Storybook Bible. I think I've mentioned this Bible before. It's a great little kid's Bible, so you have a little kid. This is a great Bible. Uh, honestly, sometimes I read the stories from here, and it's like I kind of get some sermon ideas. It's really good. Uh, right now, he's obsessed with a story called Jesus Washes Stinky Feet, and it's based off of what we just read in John 13. And it's funny, when you read it, it's, the, like, it's very colorful. It's for kids, but it's very like just all dripping with the gospel, with Jesus. Like I said, I might get some ideas once in a while from a little kid's book. But uh, I love when I read this story. He's fat. He always goes, Dad, let's read Jesus Washes Stinky Feet. Like He's obsessed with this idea. It's incredible to him. It's incredible to him that God, that Jesus, wants to wash stinky feet. Even he's like, come on, Dad, like, why aren't the disciples doing it? I'm like, I don't know. Right? Like, this is such a bizarre story. And I really do want us to like, understand this story and look at this story. This is such a bizarre thing that the God of the universe says, no one is willing to do this. I'm going to step in and do this. I'm so thankful we serve a God who comes as a servant. I'm so thankful that our God is not just on a throne distant, far away, but he's let me walk among you and walk as a servant. Here's something we've been trying to communicate every single week. Whenever we talk about any spiritual discipline, there's always something that's battling or fighting against. So when every spiritual discipline is to counter something else in our lives that might be hurting our lives. So for example, we talked about meditation. 
meditate on the word of God, silence, solitude, scripture, just thinking about the word, chewing on the word. And here's med- meditation helps address and deal with anxiety, depression. It's a counter and fight that. Uh, last week we talked about Sabbath. Mike talked about Sabbath and how Sabbath really does specifically deal with trust issues in our life. Maybe we don't trust God, so we always have to work and work. And sometimes it's good just to relax and Sabbath. It just shows, God, I trust you. Every spiritual discipline is to counteract something else or fight something else. So what does serving or service or servanthood counteract and what does it fight against? Simply put, it's just pride. Pride. The idea for us of practicing serving is so that it might counteract or fight against just pride. Now, if I were to ask in this room, it'd be like, who here is not prideful? First of all, no one's going to raise their hand. Right? And if you didn't raise your, like, if you raise your hand, like, you just proved my point. Thank you so much. Prove my point. If anyone raised their hand, like, no, of course, everyone here to some extent, to some degree, wrestles with pride. Pride causes us to look down on others and other things. And as I love what one person said, as long as you're looking down on others, you can never look up and see what's above you. Pride is something we all wrestle with to some extent. There's something about serving, and not only that, we'll talk about this, serving in secret, serving when no one sees, that really just counteracts. Just the pride where no one's going to applaud you. No one's going to give you glory. No one's going to be like, I saw what you did. When you serve and when you serve in secret, it just really does kind of, it produces, it helps produce humility. I don't think we've ever arrived. No one's ever like, all right, guys, I've arrived. I'm now the most humble person. Like, obviously, like, if you said that, you know, you just want to arrive with humility. It's always something. It's a walk. It's a pursuit. But practicing service is to help fight that. I love how Richard Foster, he, he writes about serving. He says this. He says, uh, Humility, listen, is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. That's how it's worked in. Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving and hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. It will devise subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. If we stoutly refuse to give into this lust of the flesh, we crucify it. Every time we crucify the flesh, we crucify our pride and arrogance. So this is one of those disciplines where God's like, there's pride, there's ego, there's things in your life. Maybe you you look down on others or you're just very judgmental. You're very critical. Serving, servanthood, service help counteract that. It does so much more. But here's the thing. We we don't want to just like talk about ways of serving, we will, but we want to actually look and say, God, how do you create within us just a, a servant heart? How do we become more like Jesus? So here's what we learned from John 13. We're going to walk through this today. Here's what we see. Here's what we learn. Few simple points, a few simple thoughts, and we'll look at this. So look, number one is this. We're going to see serving redefined, serving redefined. We're going to see serving always, just always with that spirit, and we're going to see serving everyone. Serving redefined, serving always, serving everyone. First point again is serving redefined. Let me just give you the context. By the way, John's gospel is a very unique gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all pretty similar. They're called the synoptic gospels because they're similar. John's gospel is a little more unique. Here's why I personally love John's gospel. John chapter 13 through 17 is basically focusing on the last few hours of Jesus' life before he's taken to be crucified. John 13 through 17 is kind of like, like, I want to know Jesus' last words to his disciples. Read John 13 and 17. Just in depth of, like, the heart of God for his disciples right before he's taken to be scourged and crucified. So John 13 is the start of this. Again, his last few hours on earth before he's crucified. 
And this is the context. And if you read in other Gospels, we're actually told that as they're sitting down, this is Passover, this is the night he's taken, we're actually told in other Gospels that the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest. Now, this is not foreign to them. This is like the third time in the Gospels they're arguing, like, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Like, you're going to be a servant. I'm going to be the king. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And it's amongst this moment, it's amongst this context that Jesus is saying, let me show you who's the greatest. Let me show you what it's like to be the servant of all. Jesus completely redefines greatness and he redefines serving. And I really want us to kind of feel the weight of this. Understand that in no ancient literature, Roman literature, you don't see an authority, a rabbi, a teacher, any sort of authority. You never see them saying, let me be the servant of all. Let me get down and wash feet. Did you know that if you were a Jewish servant, let's say you're, you're a, a Jew who's a servant in someone's household, you weren't, by according to Jewish law, you weren't allowed to wash people's feet. The Jews viewed this job as too low, too low for even their Jewish servants. Only the Gentile servants could do this. You know, if you think about living back in this day and you think about walking the roads, you know, some people in Israel, it's funny, just they had the old school sandals and they're walking around and, you know, you see a couple camels here and there and then you could smell the camel for like a mile away. But when you're walking around and you think about horses and donkeys and camels and your people and animals are sharing the road, you know, what do you think your feet are going to be like? You get one cut and you just get, you know, you die. I don't know what happened back then. Um, but you think about how dirty and disgusting that road was. It was just a very low job that no one wanted to do. And Jesus enters into the service. And this really was so shocking to them. It was so like horrifying. It's like, you shouldn't do this, Jesus, because I don't want to do this. If you're doing this, please don't set the tone, but that's what Jesus is doing. I mean, it's one of those things to them is like, I can't believe, this is below the slave's job. This is below what a slave would do. We wouldn't even let our Jewish slaves do this. I mean, this is one of those shocking moments. That's why we do see Peter's interaction. Like, Lord, not my feet. He's like, well, you know, part of me. Okay, wash my whole body. He's like, Peter always had to try to change it. Like, he's always trying to change Jesus. Jesus, not for you. You can't go to the cross. He's going to get behind me, Satan. Like, Jesus was always, Peter was always trying to just change Jesus and what he said. But here's what we see. I like verse 4's language. When you read John 13, verse 4, listen to the language of the text. It says it this way. Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. I want you to see the imagery that's happening there. Jesus left supper. He left the place of blessing, the place of food. That would be very hard for me to leave the place of food. He leaves the place of food, of blessing, of honor, of glory, the head of the table. He leaves this place of glory and honor and what does he do? He clothes himself as a servant. He takes on the form of a slave. He takes on the form, he girds himself with a towel. And he enters into this idea of, I'm going to show you what it's like to be a leader. I'm going to show you what it's like to serve. I think people have said that, you know, if you're too uh, big to serve, you're too small to lead. Jesus is like, let me show you what this is like. I'm going to show you how to do this. Do we not get what Jesus was doing in John 13 was a small picture of what he did before Jesus, we hold in Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider Robert to be equal with God, but he just, he left heaven. It says he took on the form of a servant. He died even on the death of a cross. The point, the point Jesus is showing the disciples is, listen, I left heaven. It's not hard for me to leave supper. It's not hard for me to leave the Passover meal. I've left heaven for you guys. I've left glory for you guys. I've took on the form of a servant for you guys. Jesus is saying, what I'm doing here is a small picture of what I've already done. I've left the place of honor to become the place of a servant. And again, this was scandalous to them. This was shocking to them. 
Jesus in this moment is redefining greatness. I have a question for you guys really quick. All right, here's, we're going to throw it up here. Here's the question. When Jesus came in the form of a servant, was he disguising himself as a servant or revealing who God is? See, I want you to think about this. Jesus isn't trying to disguise himself as a servant. He's like, let me reveal to you what God is like. I want us to get this. It, this really does blow my mind. God is a servant. I don't think I could ever say that unless God showed it and, and did it. It's crazy to think that God spoke the world and us into existence and says, let me now serve you. Obviously, we should be serving him. Obviously, it should be us who worships him, gives him all. And he goes, let me serve you. That Jesus is this infinite servant. Jesus, again, who is Jesus? Like, who, who, who is the person serving? You guys, I know we know this, but I want us to get this. Here's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Here's the author and the finisher of our faith. Here's the one who spoke the world into existence. Here's the one who redeemed us from hell and sin and death. And it, despite all those titles, he takes a towel. And he says, let me show you what true greatness is. Let me show you what true service is. And in this moment, he is really redefining service. And I think Peter took note of this. I think this was shocking to Peter. Peter would later write in 1 Peter 5, 5, listen to this. Peter would say, hey, guys, church, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, Peter would later write, be clothed with humility. Jesus clothed himself with humility. Jesus took on the form of a servant. This, was so, this stood out to Peter. It would change how he did life and ministry. See, here's the thing. I know you guys know this, but Jesus at this point in time is redefining what leadership is, what serving is, what greatness is. It's so bizarre. that The, the Christian following the way of Jesus is so different. It's saying, you want to go higher, go lower. The way up is down. You want to be the first of all, the greatest of all, be the least of all. I mean, this is just counter everything in the world. Imagine the CEO of any company going, let me be the servant to you. Sometimes we have this mindset of, if I'm great, people will serve me. Jesus says, if you're great, you will serve people. We got to understand that this is so counter to everything you and I know. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, listen to this. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came what? To be served? Because I came to serve. I didn't come to be, I, I, I came to serve. He's the only one in the world that is worthy of service, and yet he came to serve. And then he's showing this is what it's like to be a leader. This is what it's like to be great. This is what it's like to truly serve. The world says great people are served. You go to any fancy place, any amazing, it's like great people are served. I think, I mean, think about this. You go to like a, an expensive restaurant where like meals like $500 or something crazy and you think, man, who's sitting there? What are they wearing? Look at that Armani jacket. Look at that. And like we think the great people are the ones sitting there. Jesus says, no, the great greatness happening is those serving. He's just redefining greatness in, in every way. One author named Daniel Aiken said it this way, and I, I just kind of, you know, cut my heart. I'm sure it will for you. Uh, listen to this. He says, before Christ redeems us and sets us free, we are like crack addicts addicted to ourselves. We are like alcoholics intoxicated with ourselves. We are not as interested in serving as in being served, in giving as in receiving, in pursuing God's way as in getting our way, in being the least as in being the greatest. He's like, we're addicted to ourselves, just human nature. We love ourselves. We talk about ourselves. We can't wait till someone's done talking so we can talk about ourselves. He's like, we're just obsessed with ourselves. And just this is the way to break that is service. 
the way to kind of change that, to change the culture, is saying the greatest of you will be the servant of all. And you're not doing it for recognition. You're not doing it for claps or applause. You're doing it in secret. And sometimes there'll be a point in time where you do need to serve publicly to make a statement. There'll be times where you just serve and no one will ever know. You know, it's, it'd be bizarre to be like, now let me tell you all the times I serve. Like, we, we, there's a time just to serve. Serve and let no one know. Let no one see it. No applause, no glory. Jesus saying, you want to be great? This is what it looks like. In this moment of time, he's redefining greatness. And he says, I'm leaving you this example. Actually, John 13, verse 12. Let's just read that, what he says. Listen to this. This is profound. He asked the disciples a question. He goes, do you guys know what I've done to you? Do you guys know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you say the word. Blessed are if you do them. Because you're blessed if you do them. He goes, I who am the one who sends, I who am greater, am taking up this on. How much more should you serve and love your peers? And at this phrase of blessed are you if you do them. You, you guys know, but a lot of times that word blessed in the Bible refers to like happiness, satisfied, just complete, fulfilled, is the one who does them. Think about this again. The world says people who are happy are the ones being served. Jesus says the people who are happy are the ones serving. Again, it just changes it. When Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive, I don't know we fully believe that in our heart of hearts. It's, it's when you practice this, it's true. When you get to be on the, the end of giving and serving and helping and meeting needs, he's like, what, you're way more content and fulfilled and satisfied than the one who's just constantly receiving. The world says again, true happiness comes when you're served. Jesus' happiness comes when you do the serving. What does he say to end this? Blessed are you if you do that. Church, let's, let's do it. He goes, don't just watch what I've done. Do it. See, we need to practice serving. And here's the second thought. So we, he's, he's redefining serving. But next we see this. Uh, we see number two, serving always. Jesus said, I left you an example. Now, this example is not a one-time thing. Uh, Jesus was constantly serving in his ministry, in his life. He was constantly stopped and to meet with that common person, but he also had plans. Let me just say this really quick. When it comes to serving, there's something about spontaneous serving, and there's something about planned serving. We should all plan on serving, like I serve at this day and this time. I help here. I'm giving myself this work. I want to see God grow this and build this and do this. We serve in some capacity. But there should also be spontaneous serving where someone has a need, drops. Like, there should also be this, like, I'm ready at any moment and any time to serve. Here is the big idea. Church, don't miss this. Um, you're not truly a servant if you serve only when you want to. If you only serve when you want to, that's not true service. Serving is when I'm not in the mood to serve. Serving is when I don't feel like it. That's true service. When I don't want to do it, when it's not my you know, gifting, when it's not what I like to do, it's not my passion. Serving is that there's a need, I serve. There's an issue, I serve. There's a gap here, I'm going to meet that gap. Again, one author, he said it this way. Listen to this. He said, self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. It can serve only when there's a feeling to serve, moved by the Spirit, as we say. I love that. He just calls us out. You know, a lot of times it's based off our moods. It's based off what we feel like in that moment, and that is not true service. Let me just say this. When you and I choose when to serve, how to serve, we are still in charge we're still in control. If I'm, we want to stay in charge, stay in that field of control, when you're truly a servant, you're not in control. 
Did you guys hear? When you're truly a servant, you're not in control. When you just serve because there's a need, that's when you know I'm not in control. I'm just, I'm just a servant. I've shared this before because I thought this was so, I forget where I read this, but someone said this statement. They say, you know you're truly a servant by how you respond when someone treats you like one. You know you're truly a servant by how you respond when someone treats you. If, if I was like, peasant, go get me a towel for my sweat. I don't know. That's just weird, gross. But if I was like to command you to do something or someone commands you to do something, if the response is, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, if the response is yes, I'm just going to do it. Like, or if your ego rises up, and you're like, how dare they talk to me? Do they know who I am? You know you're a servant by how you respond when someone treats you like one. If you've ever been talked down to, it's very difficult to take that. It's very difficult to be t- you know, talked down to and saying, hey, overseer, hey, boss, I'll just, yes, yes, sir, I'll do it. It's incri- My flesh wants to rise and fight that in every capacity. I'm sure yours is as well. Maybe not. Maybe you're better than me in that way but we want to defend ourselves. And a servant responds just differently. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. See, here's something I do want to bring up to you guys. My goal is not to get you to serve, but for you to be a servant. You see, if if we do a message today on service, and all we do is kind of like plug, you know, a, a gap, but it's not more like creating God within us a heart of servanthood, then we've missed the point. We practice service so ultimately we can develop a lifestyle of serving. The reason why I'll say I have to do, I have to serve in ways I don't want to is God create within me a heart of servanthood. Like I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this. I'm going to have to practice service at this moment so God ultimately creates a heart of service. So a true servant is someone who doesn't serve based off emotions but just based off needs. So that is the difference. So let me just honestly, I'm going to throw you out some needs. I'm going to throw out some things happening. Uh, Today for us is... Orphan Sunday, Stand Sunday. This is, uh, uh, for us, we do something once a, every other month called Serve Sunday. We push it off to this weekend, just in light of me being out of town, but the idea of Serve Sunday is, hey, here's some needs happening in our community, in our church, we want to meet those needs. You know, we do have four kids here. Four kids is a foster care ministry, essentially, just to South Florida. It's really to help a lot of just women in crisis, teenagers who are pregnant. It helps deal with that, helps deal with kids who are you know, don't have families, but taken from homes. From kids who went through foster care, they're 18 years old, now what happens? It has homes for kids from like 18, I think, to 25 to help kids who come out of the foster care system. We have them here today because we want to say, hey, we want, we're going to be a part of this. We're going to help. There's needs there. You can come alongside families and serve families who are fostering because once you take on the role of fostering, you might feel alone and isolated. And let me say, like, we as a church want to come alongside those families. There's a table with information. This is not even an announcement. This is, God, how do we make this part of who we are? I've said this before, but I really do believe today, and even in the future, there's some of you God might be calling to foster, to foster kids, to taking kids who don't have a home into your, just into your life, to just be an example of the gospel of you and I were adopted. We were made sons and daughters of God. That fostering is a great way to just really show the gospel to kids who maybe have never seen or felt or experienced the gospel. We as a church want to come alongside those families. That's going to be part of who we are. Hey, honestly, here's some needs that you guys, here's some needs I'm just saying that we're throwing out there and saying a true servant is not like, let me just do what I want to do, but even those uncomfortable things because there's a need there. So for us as a church, I'll be honest, we, ha- we need about six more people in kids' ministry. That is a real need. And I, I know that when we, whenever we make announcements like this, it can almost be like, I hope someone does that. And it might be like, well, maybe that's you. <laughs> you know, we have about six needs in kids' ministry. We have a few needs just in sound and production. We have a handful of needs in hospitality, in setup and teardown and 
communion, like we, we have some needs, you know, I'd say like, we would, we're not saying, can you do this every week and some sign your soul away? We're saying like, can you maybe get a rhythm or a practice of serving once a month now? That would really bless our community. Could this be something you do once in a while? Here's the point. This is not some guilt trip thing. This is saying Jesus was the servant of all. He says, blessed are you if you do that. We're trying to say, here's some needs in our community through four kids. Here's some needs in our church. He says, how, oh, how happy is the man and woman who does them, who hears that and does. It's way better to give than to receive. We're trying to say, here's an opportunity. Would you pray about meeting that? Would you not? But that's not my passion. It's okay. There's a need. See, we're trying to create and steward a heart of just service and servanthood. And it will be uncomfortable and it will take time and maybe money and energy. It'll be difficult. And yet in the process, God is making us more like Jesus. In the process, we're becoming less self-absorbed and egocentric. And God, how can I be a part of your kingdom and advance your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? And how can I have a bigger picture than me and my needs and my wants? Amen? We're trying to say, God, do something bigger than all of us. And it takes a community to do that. And so we see that serving is uh, not just a once-in-a-while thing. It's always, always serving. So here's a couple thoughts. I want to leave with this. How, how do we do this? Number one is this. Uh, do small things. All right. How do we create a heart of servanthood? Um, let me just say this. Do small things. Don't look for that big thing. All of us want to do like that big thing for God. If, if there, for some reason, as like a young kid, it's like you'd hear stories of those who'd venture out in faith and like do these crazy big things for God. And we're like, I want to do that one day for God. And then we're like, oh, can someone like take out the trash at our church? And you're like, eh. You know, like, we want to do something big and profound, but Jesus is like, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You're like, I would rather, like, be that martyr, because that's, like, you know, really big, and I'll get it written in a book. It's like, no, no, do the, do the small thing. The thing that no notices. There's a woman in the book of Acts who was just known for this. Her name was Dorcas. What a great name. Her parents did not serve her in that way, but she had the name Dorcas, and Dorcas was a woman. It says this in Acts 9.36. Listen to this. It says this about her. Uh, it says, this woman was full of good works and charitable, charitable deeds, which she did. What did, she, what did she do? She, she made tunics and garments, uh, which Dorcas had made while she was with them. The idea was this. Here's a woman in the church who goes, oh, people need tunics. People need garments. There's needs. She'd meet needs. She was just known for meeting needs. In Acts 9, you read this. She actually died. Peter walks in the room. He casts everyone out of the room. He just says to her, Dorcas, arise. <laughs> or Tabitha, arise. And I love what Jesus is doing. He's reenacting what he saw Jesus do. Remember that little girl who died? He kicks all the doubters out of the room. And he says, arise. And she came back. Peter's reenacting what he saw. He's just following what he saw Jesus do, and he does this, and Dorcas comes back to life. And I love this story for some reason because it's just so obscure. Like the book of Acts and like all these tribes and nations coming to believe in Jesus, and here's the story of Dorcas. And I love it because why did God bring her back to life? I just think it's like, man, here's a woman who met needs, and God's like, she needs, the church needs her. She made tunics and garments, and you know what? The church really needs this woman. Let's bring her back to life. Like I just love this story. There's just something about doing those small, maybe it even seems insignificant, and God's like, I see that, and I take notice of that. Do small things. Luke 16, 10, Jesus said it this way. He says, one, listen, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you cannot be faithful for little, God cannot give you that much. We all want to be faithful in much. God's like, be faithful in a little. Do those small things. Maybe that insignificant things that no one see. A great pastor, writer, author, a leader of the anti-Nazi party, a great man who loved Jesus and served in Germany. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's what he said. He said, nobody is too good to perform the lowliest task. People who worry about the loss of time that such petty outward acts of helpfulness might entail are probably taking themselves and their careers too seriously. Here's a guy who was a seminary professor, 
a pastor, a leader, a teacher, a leader of a huge movement to stop the Nazis in Germany, who's ended up dying for this cause right before the war ended, he goes, you're not too great for the lowliest task. He, he had very little time probably, and he goes, I'm gonna, we need to do the lowliest task. Listen, do small things. How, how do we cultivate this? Do small things. You've heard some needs today. Do something small. It doesn't have to be this big, grandiose thing. Just meet that small need that God is stirring your heart to meet. And not only that, let me just say this. Do your gift. Do your gift. God has given everyone in this room different gifts. I'm so thankful for that. We've talked about the body of Christ recently, a few weeks ago. We talked about how the idea that's not about one person or one or two different gifts. There are about 20-something different gifts mentioned in the New Testament. Do your gift. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4. Listen to this. Peter said, guys, be hospital, hospital, hospitable. Yeah, be hot. We also need that. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he wrote some more Bible after that. I love how I just, amen, then. Anyways, he wasn't done. It's a good sermon. Here's the thing. He goes, minister to one another. Do your gift. If God has given you the gift of serving, serve. The gift of ministry, minister. The gift of hospitality, show hospitality. Whatever that gift is, he's like, do it. Just do that. Gift. There's, when people have asked me, like, Josiah, where do you need help? And I'm like, where do we not need help? Just whatever your gift is, do it. Step in. There's a role. There's a need for that. We see that Jesus says, I have left you an example. I've left you this model, this lifestyle to live by. And last number three is this. Not just serving always, but serving everyone. Serving everyone. Mark 9, 35, Jesus said, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all. And say it with me. And servant. Oh, it's bad. Uh, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all. And servant of all. Listen, serve everyone. You guys, you want to be great? Serve everyone. You must be the servant of all. It's really easy for me to pick and choose who I want to serve. You know how like you're like, oh, I love that person. I'll do anything for them. Like that person, I would not do anything for them. Right? Jesus is like, be a servant to everyone, to all. That is what service is. It's not picking and choosing who you want to serve, who I want to serve, be a servant to all. I want you to think about this. Jesus is hours away from being scourged and taken and crucified. And here he is washing the disciples' feet. And obviously, whose feet is he washing at this point in time? He's washing Peter, who would deny him, and he's washing Judas, who would betray him. And I do want you to think about, I want you to think about Jesus' position of looking at Judas, knowing he's about to betray him, knowing he's about to go get 30 pieces of silver for delivering him to the hands of the scribes and Pharisees and the Romans. I want you to think about being Judas, getting your feet washed by Jesus. That water must have burned his feet. See, Jesus served even knowing the outcome. Jesus served knowing that he would not repent. Jesus served him knowing there maybe nothing good would come from this moment with Judas, but he's still serving. Jesus didn't serve when he wanted to. He didn't serve when it was easy. He didn't serve when he thought it's good for him to serve. He, he served always, and he served everyone. He served his enemies. There's a verse in Luke 6 that when I first got saved and sort of like really walking with Jesus, uh, Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, bless those who curse you and pray for those who use you. It was the first time I ever started praying for people who I just kind of hated, to be honest, in my heart. Like, I just, I don't want to be with them, near them, in the same room with them. I couldn't stand them. It was bizarre how when I first really gave my life to Jesus, I feel like the first thing that happened was I started praying for people who I just kind of hated. And after a while, you'd see that person, and you've been praying so much for them, and not like, God, kill them. I can't stand them. The prayers were different. The prayers were like, God, bless them. 
I, you need to bless them, bless their family, let them know you, walk with you. And then guess what happens? Next time you see that person, you're like, hey, how are you? They're like, what? No, like, how are you? You're like, why do you care? Like, I don't know why I care. Like, I've been, like, I've been investing so much in you in prayer that I genuinely care about you. See, Jesus served everyone. He's serving Judas, who's literally about to betray him. Can I tell you guys something really quick? Church, can we hear this? I really, 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 really do believe that love is probably the greatest apologetic the church has, but rarely uses. I think if we love those who are much different than us, if we love those who cursed us, if we love those who wanted nothing to do with us and truly loved, truly went out of our way to serve them and bless them, it'd be one of the greatest apologetics for Jesus and who he is. I think those people who might think differently than us when it comes to politics, we can just condemn them. We just love them and serve them. Those who view life different, if we were to say, you know what, we're going to go out of our way and show them the love of Jesus in this moment. And the world's like, why are you loving them? You're like, because I have a mandate from Jesus to love. Because Jesus says, you'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. I really, guys, I would love for us to embody this. I would love for our church to do some obscure things soon in the future. I would love for us to bless certain communities. That are like, why are you blessing them? Why are you, gonna, why are you talking to them? Because obviously this is who Jesus ate with and loved and served. I would love for us to be known as this church that loves in practical, tangible ways that will cost us time, energy, and money. And I think it would be one of the greatest apolog- apologetics for Jesus. Amen. This is so important for us to embrace. I want to leave you with, with this thought or this quote. Richard Foster wrote, self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. All right, who here is like a result-driven person? All right, we got to fight against this. <laughs> he goes, it eagerly waits to see if the person we served will reciprocate in kind. It becomes bitter when the results fail below expectations. True service is free of the need to calculate results. It delights only in the service. It can serve enemies as freely as friends. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. Wow. It's like, this punches me in the gut. He's like, it's indiscriminate in its ministry. Guys, there are things we have done and will do to love and serve a community that might not produce results. But we're called to serve them. And in due time, if we do not lose heart, I believe we'll, we'll reap a harvest. I believe that's what we're called to do. I believe we're called to do things that might not make sense, that might not show results, that we're going, what is this? And we're we're just going to keep loving and serving our community. We're going to keep meeting them, getting to know them, blessing them, because that's what God's called us to do. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Every discipline we talked about to become more like Jesus, we need to practice. Here's a simple practice today. Ready? You guys ready? This is our practice. Our practice and discipline. I'm going to ask you guys to participate in Gift of Hope. We did this last year and the year before. What is Gift of Hope? Gift of Hope is basically buying a Christmas gift for a kid in foster care. I think everyone could get behind that. I think that's a really easy, tangible thing to do. I think it's saying, hey, even if you have kids, bring them on that journey and say, listen, there's kids who don't have mommies and daddies or mommies and daddies at this moment, or they're maybe in the foster care program. We want to bless them and give them a gift. We're going to participate in Gift of Hope. We have some uh, information in the back about that where you can read about different gifts and what to give. We're going to get these little ornaments next week. If you want to pick one of those ornaments and bring the gift with that, you can. We're going to do this for the next few weekends. So you're going to see in the back, we're going to have a tree, and we're going to ask that we're going to you know, collect your gifts and put them under that tree. Next is this. Um, serve in an area of the church. Would you really pray and consider this? The weight right now is kind of you know, carried by about maybe 50%, which is amazing. We have a high percentage of those who serve in the church. Let me just celebrate that, by the way. A lot of you serve, which is a beautiful thing. 
Honestly, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. A lot of you, because of schedules, can't serve in certain capacities. That's okay. There's other ways for us to serve. This is not, again, something, there's other ways to serve. But we would ask that you'd maybe pray about a, a monthly rhythm of serving, maybe twice a month, maybe every three months. But just pray about some sort of rhythm of serving, just sharing that way. Um, and also, just last serve when it hurts. As you're at Starbucks and you see that person or you're, you're somewhere and you go, uh, I always say Starbucks, that's where I, where I live. But if there's somewhere else you go to, I don't know where people go, um, and you see that need, just say, you know what, I'm going to meet that need. I want to go out of my way. I want to bless that person who looks differently than me, who talks differently than me, that thinks differently than me. I want to go out of my way and bless them. It's, again, we all love to serve those we're like attracted to. It's very difficult to serve those that might be in our mind the outcast. Serve those people. This is where I'm challenged most. I'm going to ask you to practice service. This is just one, there's practical things we can do to say, hey, create a heart of service. It's going to be humbling. It's going to hurt. We want to create the heart of service. And here's the last verse. I want to leave you with this, and please don't get distracted. Don't forget what Jesus said here. Listen, Mark 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Please, let's just keep this in mind. Right now in this moment, we are, we are going to celebrate the work of Jesus by communion. Here's what I want to say. Don't, don't lose sight of this. Jesus says, I came to serve and give my life as a ransom. I came to die on a cross to shed my blood, to give up my body, so that you could be right with God. You and I can only stand, imagine standing before God. I had this conversation with someone this morning. That day when we stand before God, I still can't fully fathom. But the only way you and I can stand before God is because of the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus. By no means could I ever stand before God on my own righteousness, on my own merit, on the good things I've done because I'm a wicked person. I'm only standing before God because of the finished work on the cross. So we're talking today about service and work, and guess what? Jesus' service and work finished that. You and I do not do things to get the love of God. We have the love of God, so we do things. You and I do not have to try to be good people. Maybe God will love me if I'm good enough. That is not the case. God loves you. God finished that work that you and I needed to be right with God through the person of Jesus, and we take communion every every so often, just to remember the fact that Jesus, the work is complete. By your body and by your blood, we are healed, we are saved, we are right before God. Thank you for the work of the cross. Thank you for your service. Thank you that you did not come to be served, but to serve. Because Jesus came to serve, you and I can now stand before God and serve out of a place of love and not obligation. I don't have to serve out of obligation. I serve out of a place, I'm a loved son of God. I can serve out of a place of love. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to end with worship. We're going to end with communion. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have people come up and pass out communion. As worship is going on, feel free to take, thank God. The whole idea, even the word Eucharist, where we kind of get the word idea of communion, it just means thanksgiving. It's not necessarily some set. We just say, God, thank you. Thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you for your blood that was shed. It just means thanksgiving. We're going to thank God. Listen, if, if you do not believe in Jesus, if you've not made him your Lord and your God, there's no need to take communion. Why take something you don't believe in? But in this moment, if you go, no, I do believe that. I believe Jesus is everything you said he is. And take it. Take, eat, and drink, and celebrate the work of the cross on your and my behalf. Amen? Let's pray. Let's just enjoy God through communion. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the fact that we can serve others because you first served us. We don't do it to get your love or to get something from it. We have it. Thank you, God. I could never, I could never do enough things. God, you've, you've done it all. you paid it all. As we just take that little cracker with those holes in it, we're reminded, Jesus, of your body that was pierced through. 
We're reminded of the fact that you are that sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God, that your blood was shed for my forgiveness of sins. And God, we just say thank you. We want to worship you right now. We want to praise you, celebrate you. That God, um, this would be a holy moment, a, a moment we can enjoy you. And Jesus, let us rest from our work because you rest from yours. Let our service be out of love and not out of obligation. And we just ask this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Feel free to come forward, pass out communion. When you guys are ready, take, eat, and drink.